0: Hey, I'm Diane McLaughlin. Uh, On behalf of the SCTM APP Resource Committee, we're starting a podcast to talk about topics relevant to APP practice. And I'm joined here with Kristen Santos, who works in the ICU over at Mayo, and Mariah Rose, who works in the ICU over at Mayo, both in Florida. And we're going to have a little conversation today about FNPs in the ICU.
1: Wonderful. Thanks for having us. I'm really excited to talk about this topic because this is something that we talk about on our days off (laughs) and we talk about at work. And I think it's pretty relevant across the board for a lot of nurse practitioners in different areas. So whether FNP should be in the ICU or whether acute care should be in primary care.
2: I'm Mariah Rose, and I echo Kristen's sentiment. Yes, this is something that's kind of near and dear to our hearts, particularly with us receiving our education as a family nurse practitioner, but being mainly employed and only employed in critical care. So good to have this conversation.
0: So it's kind of interesting like as the I'm a little outnumbered I'm I'm the acute care representative <laughs> here but the truth is when I first like started working with nurse practitioners one of my early mentors was an FNP and to this day I think she's one of the most brilliant people I've ever met and when I joined the practice at Mayo I think there were only two acute care nurse practitioners everybody else was family
1: Yeah and and I think How you get started is how you get started as an FNP and end up in acute care is kind of a common track to take for some people who either were going to school in an area that didn't have acute care options available locally, or you have kind of been grandfathered in now because you've been practicing for a decade plus and acute care either wasn't an option to take anywhere or, or wasn't readily available to you. And I think for me, when I went to school, I kind of knew that I wanted to be in the ICU. I was an ICU nurse and I, I loved it. And a lot of my mentors were you know ICU practitioners, or, or I should say practitioners in the ICU. But I was very naive as to what scope of practice meant. And and the resources available to me for acute care were a lot fewer than for family practice. And, and my little naive self thought that family practice would make me more marketable. So I was like, oh, I'll get a, I'll definitely get a job in the ICU because now I can take care of anybody. And that that's a common misconception, or it, or at least it had been historically.
2: Kristen, I don't think that's naive at all. I mean, that's honestly, it was kind of the way it was marketed, you know, is that, you know, you see people across the lifespan from birth to death. And I actually chose family. And in my case, it was because it was really the only option. I graduated in 2011 and started school in 2009. And that was the only option at the university that I attended in Alabama. Is still currently the only option there. You know they have alternate tracks, but not an acute care is not an option. And so, yeah, I definitely think that you know just working as a family nurse practitioner in critical care it has its challenges. And yes, there was a learning curve, but I don't know that the learning curve was any more steep than anyone else's. However, <laughs> but that's just because I started working in a very specialized unit. I don't think necessarily any acute care nurse practitioner track probably prepares you to work in a transplant ICU or cardiothoracic or neuro ICU. It's more of a broad, general education regarding acute care. Your background's
0: kind of interesting, too, because you never worked in the ICU, right? You were an ED nurse.
2: Yes, exactly. And so that was another reason why I didn't really feel that I was at a disadvantage because there wasn't acute care option. Now, had I been at a university and they presented me with two options, I probably would have chosen acute care because I knew I wanted to be in the hospital setting. I had always worked as an ER nurse. I liked the acuity of those patients. And so that was actually kind of my thought process when I graduated that, oh, I'll go work in the, in the ED. But we relocated from New York to Florida and Mayo had physicians available. And so I sought employment in the ICU. I thought I would be able to see patients when, you know, like when they're in in the emergency room, but also see the evolution of the things that we do. You know, we treat things in the ER, but then, you know, oh, okay, then they go home. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to see how the interventions that we did in the emergency room play out in the ICU. The
0: vision initially was that they wanted you to go back and get your acute, right? I think. Yeah, I think
1: when a lot of us were hired, that was the uh, the original thought process. But then our model is it's not unique in the sense that a lot of rural institutions have FNPs in the ICU because that's the supply of nurse practitioners that they have. But for you know a, a large city and an academic institution, it is a little bit unique for us to have such a high FNP population in our group. So they originally thought, well, we'll just send them all back to school later and it'll be fine. But it's become such a successful model that we we haven't been pushed to go back and get any kind of certification because we are fully integrated into our practice.
2: Agreed. Really, the focus for most of us, and which has probably been more personal than the institution's idea, is to obtain our DNP. So that's where the majority of us are kind of headed at this point. And honestly, I'm hopeful <laughs> that in the future that there may be such an option as the family nurse practitioner eligibility to sit for the emergency nurse certification. Something similar will be for family nurse practitioners who work in critical care. Once you meet specified criteria of education in the ICU, continuing education, clinical hours, and skills competency, that we will be eligible to sit for the acute care board.
1: Yeah, this this is something that Mariah and I have gone off on lots of very heated heated discussions about because... It's silly to me that we have practiced in the ICU for years and years. We take care of incredibly high acuity patients and we teach for local acute care programs. We precept local acute care students. We post our own educational opportunities in the, in the sense of CME courses, yet yeah, we have to go back and take clinicals to get our acute care certification. That, just, that really burns me up.
0: Yeah, that doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense or that it would add much to your practice at this point in your career. Exactly. It's interesting, like from the acute care standpoint, I also was naive in regards to what scope of practice meant. And to be honest, I thought it was more of a setting-based rather than population-based. But like over the last 10 years, like acute care now, like you see patients in clinic. I mean, it goes kind of the opposite way too, but there are a lot more FNP programs than there are acute care and there are less acute care jobs right now. And so I think there's some animosity building that people that are graduating from acute care programs are the ones that are like, no, FNP needs to stay in the FNP lane and acute care needs to stay in acute care just because there's so much competition mm-hmm. for every new job.
1: Yeah. And I think that makes sense, especially for you know cities and larger tertiary centers. But if you go into, you know, rural America, that's not the case. And then you're technically telling those nurse practitioners that they are practicing outside of their scope because they're practicing in an ICU when there is no other option.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, it's it's just, I don't think there should be any animosity among any of us. I mean, we're all, we all have the same objective and that is to take care of patients, to provide high quality, cost-effective care. But I think in the future, as there are more acute care programs I think that is wise that nurse practitioners who are educated in acute care go into acute care. My problem with it is that family nurse practitioners from, you know, 10 years ago, it's almost punitive. You know, if I am to go and to work in primary care after having never done that at all, I feel ill equipped. I mean, I honestly feel ill equipped to go and find a job. And I'm actually faced with that now. I'm relocating from Florida to North Carolina, and every job that I go to apply for says acute care certification required, acute care certification required. I actually even contacted one of the human resources personnel and told them, you know, I have 10 years experience in an ICU. And they said they're only interviewing people for acute care that have acute care certification. That is insane to me.
0: That's insane to me because not only is it like 10 years, it's like good years of like some of the most difficult patients. Instead, they'd rather take somebody that's brand new with no experience because the certification is correct.
2: But I also feel like their hands are kind of tied, right? You know, if they want to be in compliance, then, you know, they're doing what what they feel that they have to do. And so, although I don't feel like it makes sense, I can also understand from their standpoint. That's the reason why I argue and advocate so much for there has to be something done for these people that are in between, you know, the, the people that went to school years ago and have, helped, have only been practicing in critical care. There has to be an option for those people or you're going to start having a, a shortage. You know, there was multiple jobs online for acute care nurse practitioners in the city where I moved. I could fill one of those jobs with ease, but I can't because I don't have the certification that they say is required.
1: Yeah. Did you have something to add
0: to that? No, I was going to say that's crazy because it's kind of the opposite in like the urban center. That yeah. one job posting in a city that's saturated with acute care, like that job, is not going to stay open, and there's going to be mm-hmm. high levels of competition. That's what Cleveland was like. It was nice to come in with experience and the right certification because I didn't have that problem. But teaching up there, all of these new grads, it was taking a lot longer for them to get jobs than it has ever in the past. And it's just because there's so many of them between the different schools in the area.
1: It brings up an interesting point as to, you know, the consensus model was 2008, right? So medicine is changing rapidly, the population is aging rapidly and becoming more medically complex, sicker, we are kind of holding ourselves back by trying to be in compliance of this certification problem where you have a 10 year plus experienced FNP who's had 10 years of critical care experience, and you're not going to hire them simply because of this certification rule. So so are we holding ourselves back by that? Should there be, you know, changes to that as as medicine changes and, and as nurse practitioners change? And that's opening a whole can of worms. Yeah, they're going to have to <laughs> hold me
0: back because like... <laughs> Nurse practitioners are the only group that does that. I know. As a registered nurse, I can work pediatric ICU. And then next year saying, you know, that really made me sad taking care of those sick babies. I'm going to go to a nursing home. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be like, oh, this is boring. I think I'm going back to ICU, but let's do adult this time. And it's no problem. Same with PAs, same yeah. with residents, like that can jump programs. Physicians can take care of anybody. But nurse practitioners, we've said, no, you, you have this, 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 and this. And that's it. Even though, I mean, let's be honest, it's all everything. Yeah. We're trained essentially the same up, up until the point of clinicals. Mm-hmm. And that's where it like diverges a little bit, but probably not enough to say that after that little bit of education, I can go and practice. Yeah. I'm
1: sure it's great for the, for the programs, right? Because now they're more competitive because they have this label on them to say, well, mm-hmm. I'm an acute care program, come to mind because you get to work in the hospital or I'm a family program, come to mind. But for those of us practicing, it's really limiting. And, you know, we may want to be rocking in the ICU for 15 years, but then you may get tired and you might want to go someplace like a PICS clinic, for example. And can you, if you are acute care starting in the ICU and then merging into the clinic, I mean, you're kind of practicing outside of your scope at that point, which is crazy to me.
2: Yeah, I echo your sentiments as well. <laughs> it's like it's we talk about this over and over and but I think this is a much needed conversation and I'm I'm glad to be here with you today. Santos, you mentioned the complexity of patients, you know. I, I think that this is where the all of the dual certifications come into play. I think that they're making they're putting forth effort to try to kind of eliminate some of that, but at, at what point is enough enough? Trauma, you know. Trauma is a very specialized thing. Cardiothoracic procedures that have these mechanical circulatory devices, that's a very specialized thing. At what point is it going to be that there's a, I want to say, a, almost kind of like a one-size-fits-all, for lack of a better term, you know, that I can do from birth to death and choose acute care. That's one option. Then you can do birth to death and choose family as an option. I don't know. I I think that there's still some work to be done on this.
0: Well, and then it brings up like on-the-job training Mm -hmm. and depending upon the strength of the orientation or now like residencies and fellowships and postgraduate, which is like another hot topic, is everybody created equal when then it's more individual rather than certification based when you graduate. And it's the quality of the training that you receive that really makes you ready to practice.
1: Yeah, I mean, PAs do that, right? PAs come mm-hmm. out as essentially a generalist. And then if they want to specialize or you know further their training individually, you can go to like postgraduate fellowship programs. If you wanted something very specific, like cardiothoracic ICU, You may be able to find a fellowship. And, you know, it it works for them. It works for physicians. Not saying that the NPs don't do that as well because they do, but their hands are tied by this rule. And, And I do think that it will take years and years to change something like that because you're changing the minds of nurse practitioners who have practiced like this for decades across the country. But I do agree with Mariah as to what can we do for the FNPs now? What can we do for the acute care nurse practitioners now who maybe want to do primary care?
0: Or a 15 year old, well, not 15 year old, a 12 year old's admitted to the ICU
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we can't take care of them, or we do take care of them, but the attending has to write the notes so nobody knows ever taking care yeah, of them.
1: It's exactly. like these
0: ridiculous games. Like, come <clears> on.
1: And that number is so
0: arbitrary. <clears throat> right. Because a lot of these 12-year-olds, like, have beards and drive
1: cars.
2: (laughs) I don't want that kind of 12-year-old yet, Diane. (laughs) Hold back, hold back.
1: True, though. I mean, you're you're limited by these rules that that I mean, people made, right? And and we're human. We can make a rule that we think makes sense at the time, but we also have to be humble enough to reevaluate if this is the right thing to do, or was it the right thing to do at the time? And and now we have to readdress it and catch up with the times. And I, I think that that's what we're going to look at as nurse practitioners in the next decade.
0: I mean, there are so many more nurse practitioners than there were 10 years ago. Absolutely. And there is not one FNP that I've worked with that I have questioned their ability to provide excellent critical care.
2: One thing I was thinking about is, as I've kind of belabored at this point, but... (laughs) Um, All of my experiences in critical care and having to go into a primary care setting and being expected as an experienced nurse practitioner to function at the same level of an experienced nurse practitioner in primary care. You know, to see 20, 25 patients a day and to be efficient at that, to be knowledgeable, about, you know, both disease prevention, health promotion, you know, all of those things. And yes, we are all educated, you know, all nurse practitioners should have knowledge of those things. But it's, it's it's not the same, you know, the experience that I have, you know, gained over my years in the ICU has equipped me to take care of ICU patients. It has not equipped me to take care of family. And now I just simply feel kind of stuck in between. And i honestly don't really know much what to do outside of going to a acute care nurse practitioner program and and obtaining that certificate. But, you know, when you, I think I've had 80,000 hours in critical care attended, I don't know how many conferences from society of critical care medicine to Harvard to Mass General to, you know, AANP. I mean, a lot of, a lot of ongoing clinical education, work at an academic institution, you know, have been checked off in multiple procedures. I honestly, and I I don't want to make it seem like I don't feel like that the programs have anything to offer because I am open to learning anything. And I do think that there's value in ongoing education, but I do not feel that the value that I'm going to get out of going to an acute care program is going to be going to be beneficial in the sense of the thousands of dollars it would take for me to do that, the time away from my family, and the limited hours that I would probably need to work at my actual full-time job.
1: Yeah, that makes me sad. You know, it makes me sad that there are NPs out there like you, Mariah, who have such excellent experience. And as working alongside you for the last 10 years, I can fully attest to the fact that I would let Mariah take care of any of my family in the ICU. But I'm just baffled by the fact that we have providers out there who have such excellent experience and we're not, we're not utilizing it and making them go back for a certification and do clinicals just so that they can find a job is crazy.
2: And who's to say that that? I mean, I understand that the consensus model says everything has to line up, and you know, I am actually an advocate of the consensus model. I think that the uniformity—really, just listen, listen certain components of it, the having the uniformity of education across Mm -hmm. state lines. I think that that makes us stronger as nurse practitioners. You know, that a nurse practitioner that had received their education in Alabama is the same as a nurse practitioner in Florida, is the same as a nurse practitioner in Washington State, It that improves the quality and the reputation of our education as nurse practitioners. I simply think that there were unintended consequences of the implementation of the consensus model.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I can, I can absolutely agree with the education aspect, keeping consistency of quality, because you're right, you don't want one... Nurse practitioner from one state. I'm sorry. This is
0: <laughs> this is like a bill that people like attach all of these like little so uh, amendments because times have changed. Absolutely. Like there are components that maybe were good, but not even all states
2: endorse this. So like, what good is that? True. That is very that's true. And that's how I'm we- just pointing out that you can look at the positives in anything, right? And there's <laughs> some, there's something positive that I love everybody. you. <laughs> Mariah
1: always bringing the light in the room. <laughs> I agree with you in the sense that there are, there are good aspects of it, but exactly like what Diane pointed out is that you have all these things attached to it that yes, you could argue, okay, well, it does make sense. It, it is a good model. It does keep us in line or in line of quality. I should say not in line of, of, <laughs> line of, But I honestly think, and I know this is going to upset some people. I honestly think it's holding us back.
0: Yeah. I think it's outdated. I think it's time to oh. be a conversation. Absolutely. I'm hoping that this does that and kind of reopens. It sounds like every like five years or so, somebody gets really excited and starts bringing it up and then nothing happens.
2: Yeah, absolute agreement that there need to be, quote, amendments to the the model or, yeah. Um, (laughs) You know what? I actually thought of one more thing. So, you know, if you want to be in compliance, you know, so every five years we have to go and recertify right? So I just did my recertification for my family nurse practitioner license with my hours that I worked in critical
0: care. Mm -hmm. And
2: that's cool. Not a problem. I've never had a problem. No one's ever told me there was a problem. I've never had a problem.
1: No, I have always gone to, I, and this, this is something that annoys me, and that I have gone to specific conferences to try to get more family practice hours for my research, but have nothing to do with my practice clinically. I mean, I am an academic at heart. I am constantly in school. I work at an academic center, academically productive. I love learning, and I have no problem going to these conferences and learning, and, and I usually take a friend or two, and we have fun. But I, I don't look say at the pictures. Let's yeah, rid of Facebook. But I can truly say that I've rarely taken something from those and implemented it into my practice, just because it's not the, it's not the setting, and and I simply I solely do it for recertification purposes.
0: So I think we have to start wrapping it up, but I think my closing point would be a lot of my training came from FNPs and I value the ones that I work with. So thank you for teaching me and being like great team members and being inclusive in care. And I'm all for changing the way that things are.
1: Yeah, I, I love my team, and it's full of both FNPs and acute care nurse practitioners, and I never think of whose certification is whose, and I really advocate for, for all of us to grow professionally, and this is just one step in that direction.
2: I agree. I love being a nurse practitioner, and I think that although this has been challenging for me, and hindsight's twenty twenty, 20 there's nothing else I would rather do.
0: All right, guys. So we're hoping to release at least one episode of this podcast a month. And I think this was a great way to open this conversation. And I think there are many more to come. So thanks for tuning in. And thanks for being here, guys. Thank you so much.
3: Diane C. McLaughlin, DNP, AGACNP, BC, CCRN, is a nurse practitioner in neurocritical care at University of Florida Health Jacksonville. She has worked in critical care for almost 20 years. She has taught at the ACNP program at Case Western Reserve University, acted as a clinical preceptor for University of Florida and Ohio State University Master of Science in nursing students, and is currently an assistant professor of neurology at the Mayo Clinic School of Medicine. She has published over 25 peer-reviewed articles between 2017 and 2021, authored multiple chapters in textbooks and nurse practitioner board review books and was sole author of Fast Facts About Neurocritical Care, a quick reference for the advanced practice provider. Dr. McLaughlin is active in national organizations and is currently chair of SCCM's APP Resource Committee. She is a member of the SCCM Ultrasound Committee, as well as faculty for the ultrasound course. She is active in the Neurocritical Care Society, serving on both the Guidelines Committee and APP Leadership. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Contact a customer service representative at 847-827-6888 or visit sccm.org slash membership for more information. The Society of Critical Care Medicine podcast is the copyrighted material of the Society of Critical Care Medicine. All rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion or endorsement on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, its officers, volunteers, or members, or that of the podcast commercial supporter.